Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Old Testament scripture, Nehemiah. I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 8, just verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's turn to Proverbs 15, 15. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. He who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Let's just go to Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read 22 to 25. This is a passage which speaks about what we know as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, etc. Amen. Now, the title of this message is A Cheerful Heart. As we look at a world that's by and large very unhappy at the moment for one reason or another, it's important to understand that God has given us a powerful, powerful weapon with which we can combat the situation as we see it. And that is the joy of the Lord. Now, humor is a human emotion. Just like sadness is, happiness is a human emotion. It's a soulish thing to a certain extent, but it has great spiritual repercussions. You see, when something humorous happens to us or around us, it has this effect. It lifts up our spirit. Our spirit man is lifted up. As opposed to something that is depressing, sadness, that's depressing. It drags our spirit down. So when something humorous happens around us, it changes the atmosphere. It has the power to change the spiritual atmosphere around us. Now, I'm looking back over the years and I've seen this happen many, many a time. One example was when I was at school. In those days, boarding school, they had one kind of haircut for all. There was a barber, I think his name was Fred, I can't remember, but this elderly gentleman who used to regard his raise as a lawnmower and all our heads as his garden, he used to just seat us in the locker room there, they put a canvas down, and he would just cut, and you left there with just bristles on your head. And there was one size fits all, irrespective of what you said, and sir, please, can I have it like this, can I have it like this? He'd nod his head very knowingly and just do what he was going to do anyway. Anyway, it was the 60s, and you know, that was when young people started to assert themselves. So we as boarders got together and we had a big meeting about this and we decided something had to be done, you see. The long and the short of it is they appointed me to approach the authorities. They said to me, you have a way with words. That's all I needed to hear, to send me on my way. 
Anyway, the gentleman concerned was a man by the name of Van Rienen. And I think his name was Charles, yes. Charles Van Rienen was one of these scholarly types, a scholar and a gentleman, so to speak, with an acute sense of humor. Anyway, I accosted him in the passageway, and with a grave look on my face, I said to him, Sir, we have a problem. It has to do with the way our hair has been cut for the last few years. And then he said something. He said, Oh, I see. You've got a load on your mind. (laughs) The moment he said that, I realized I was up against a force that couldn't be reckoned with. That sense of humor cracked the whole thing. That was the end of it. We carried on for as long as I can remember having our hair cut one way. Needless to say, at the moment I left school, my hair was allowed to grow to whatever length it wished. But you see, just by making that joke like that broke the whole situation. You see, I had a load on my mind, but it wasn't my hair. Another experience I had, probably a bit more serious, but no less amusing. When I was in the army in Rhodesia, we had an occasion where we were trying to repair a road, a road that had been in the tribal trust land that had been destroyed with trenches, etc., to make it impossible. So we went with a whole team of people and we started to clear this road. And we were fairly successful until, unfortunately, one of the vehicles hit a landmine. It was what they called in those days a kudu. It was actually a Land Rover converted to be mine protected. Well, the people in the Land Rover survived, but one of the DAs, that's a district assistant, walking alongside, unfortunately took the brunt of the shrapnel and he died. Anyway, we went back to the base camp. We casavacked this man out, or what was left of him. And then the order came from the DC, District Commissioner, go back and protect this vehicle overnight, otherwise the terrorists will come and destroy it. Equipment was short in those days in Rhodesia. Anyway, picture the scene. We get onto the troop carrier. And we're driving out, it's late in the afternoon, almost evening, one of our members has died. There's this spirit of depression over us, tangible spirit of depression. We're going to spend a whole night out there looking after a piece of wreck equipment, and God knows what's going to happen. Anyway, on board the truck was one of these DAs by the name of Lovemore Mavondo. Lovemore Mavondo was one of these individuals who felt that he was God's answer to the human race, and he thought of himself as quite a hero, soldier-wise. You see, he was a teenager. It was just sad that he had to go through these things in such a terrible situation. I think he would have done much better having to go through it in an environment where he could prove himself on the football field. But anyway, we were on this troop carrier, and the atmosphere is morbid, to say the least. And while we're driving along these roads, suddenly... Our troop carrier drove over a cow pat, a fresh cow pat. This cow pat went up in the air and landed, guess where? All over district assistant Lovemore Mavondo's face. Divine providence. I mean, divine providence. Well, we all cracked up. And that whole thing, the mood changed in an instant. What I'm trying to say is that when something funny happens, it can change the environment in which we are trying to survive. And you see, it's important for you and I to change the environment on an ongoing basis. In other words, cultivate what the Bible describes as a cheerful heart. 
That's the title of this message, A Cheerful Heart. Let's just look at that scripture again. Proverbs 15, 15. It says this, And the days of the afflicted are evil. Now the days of the afflicted, it's almost as if people that are continually aware of their affliction. You see, they're always complaining about the affliction around them, what's happening to them, and their days just become evil. But by contrast, all right, by contrast, he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Do you see that? Someone with a sense of humor that looks at the world differently, finds something to laugh about, will have a continual feast no matter what, on an ongoing basis. You see? Now, it's important for you now, I believe, to try and approach life with a sense of humor. It's going to go a long way for your and my health to start. I'll give you an example. Recently, as you know, we've had these seditious acts. Zuma and his crowd want to take over the country. All right? And the person who is afflicted, so to speak, would probably have this sort of comment. You know, we've just gone through this COVID. We're battling with COVID. And now, as if that wasn't enough, now we've got Zuma and his insurrection. You see? Woe is me sort of thing. We're done for. I said to Janet, you know, the one good thing that Zuma and his insurrectionist buddies have done for us, at least he's given South Africans something else to talk about other than COVID. Amen? All right. Now, you see, we're not making light of the problems. You've got to understand something. When you and I cultivate a sense of humor, we're not saying that the problems are not there. We're not saying that they're not grievous. We're not saying that people aren't being seriously affected by it. What we are choosing to do is to laugh to laugh at the situation, to find something humorous about it and laugh. And you see, if we can do that, despite the circumstances, you and I can have a continual feast. I hope you're getting the picture. It's not talking about just having a happy-go-lucky attitude. We're talking here about choosing an attitude of laughing rather than crying. Amen. Now, personally, I've been blessed, I think, with a natural sense of humor. I think I got it from my father. I just have a habit of making fun or light of issues around me. When I was leaving Sutherland, where I taught for four years, I was speaking to the deputy principal. And the thing she said to me when she'd heard that I was going to leave, she said, you know, Mr. Barlin, the one thing I'm really going to miss is your sense of humor. You see, and I thought to myself, you know what, ma'am? I'm so happy that somebody appreciated my sense of humor. But to tell you the honest truth, if I don't get out of this madhouse soon, I'm going to lose even that. Amen. But jokes aside, I found that God has given me a wonderful sense of humor and it's got me into great trouble on occasions, I might add. But it saved me. Kept me sane, basically. I remember one occasion, I used to travel around the country with a mighty prophet, so to speak. His name was Peter McKenzie. Some of you might know him. Now, Peter McKenzie, at that stage, he's changed recently, or since then, apparently, but he was very fastidious about his dress code, his dress, you see. And he made sure that he was always dressed in a flashy suit with a very flamboyant tie, you see. He was very, very fastidious about that. Now, you must remember, we were traveling to a large extent in rural Zimbabwe. We're going to rural villages and speaking to farmers, basically. And Rhodesians, as they then were, were never known for their dress code or their sense of dress at all. 
But anyway, he made a stir by always being fastidiously presented. And he chose these flashy suits and these very flamboyant ties, you see. So I was traveling with him. On one occasion, we were at one of these little village churches. And we were in the back with the pastor and all the deacons and the elders. And we are praying, you see. We are praying. And Peter's dressed there in his wonderful suit. He even got me into a suit as well, believe it or not. And then it was that my sense of humor just overcame me. I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Anyway, I went up to him and I took his tie at the bottom. And I said to him, if I pull this, will you flush? <laughs> you know, like pulling the chain of a toilet. If I pull this, will you flush? Well, it... <laughs> It didn't go down very well, and can I say that very soon after that I was looking for alternative employment. But I must say that my sense of humor has kept me sane, and it's a good thing. And I believe all of us need to develop a sense of humor. Please understand that there's some power in this. Now, Yeshua had a tremendous sense of humor. If you read the Bible with an open mind, you'll see very often he said things, and you can see a smile on his face. I'll give you an example. There is this rich young ruler. I mean, the man is a drama queen par excellence. He comes running, throws himself on the ground, you see, and starts to say, Oh, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good master. That's what he says, good master. Well, the Lord almost like waits for him to finish and then says to him, Who are you calling good? <laughs> I just understand the humor. He's standing before or on the ground before the Holy One. The lamb without spot or blemish. And the lamb without spot or blemish says to him, who is good? Only God is good. You see, he was taking the wind out of his sails, basically. This drama queen, taking the wind out of his sails. You see, but the Lord has a tremendous sense of humor, and I think he gets it from his father. I've had experience of the Lord's sense of humor. Here I am, just like this rich young ruler, throwing a fat pity party. Oh, my soul. Oh, Lord. Why have you put me in this position? Why have you, you know, etc. Look what they've done to me. And going on and on and on and on. And then I sense that he's pretty quiet. And then you know what I hear him say? Have you finished? Have you finished? I've just poured out my heart. And all the man says, well, have you finished? Amen. I said to him, you certainly have a way with words. And then we got on with business. Amen. But the Lord has a sense of humor. He gets it from his father, I'm convinced. Have you ever considered that story? We often talk about it. Now we have this great general of the Syrian army by the name of Naaman, you see. Sad for Naaman, apart from everything else and all his glory, his expertise at warfare, statecraft, etc., 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 the man's a leper. All right? We know the story. The young servant captured from the jail tells them about the prophet. So eventually, it's quite a long story, Naaman decides to grace this great prophet with his presence, you see. So he takes his whole army. Can you see it? All his generals, all his commanders, his troops, all on horses. And they're going into enemy territory to go and see the prophet, you see, the great prophet. And I can just imagine in Naaman's mind, Thoughts like, well, let's see how the prophet deals with me. He's got to know with all this army that I'm not just a commoner god and Larry the leper. I am Naaman, commander of the Syrian forces. And I can imagine him expecting, expecting this mighty prophet to come out with a flourish. And because he's a general, 
great things to happen, you see. I can imagine that. He's got it all in his mind how somehow this great prophet is going to heal him, you see. Deign to heal him. What happens? Now he has God's sense of humor. Elisha doesn't even bother to get out of bed. He turns over, so to speak, and tells his servant. So, here this general's waiting. Now, please understand something. God's got a sense of humor, but it's always with a purpose. Naaman's problem actually wasn't his leprosy. Did you know that? His problem was his pride. A lot of people, can I tell you, their problem isn't their sickness or their disease or their, their issues. Their problem is their pride. They're too proud to get to somebody and ask for help. That's basically what the real problem is, you understand. But anyway, so yeah, the servant comes and tells this great general on his horse. Can you see the servant looking up? Can you see Naaman looking down? Who on earth are you? And the servant says, well, the prophet says you must go and dip in that muddy pond God's having a massive laugh up in heaven about this whole thing. Because guess what? It plays out as he thought. Naaman has a big fat nappy rash. Goes off in a huff. Fortunately, some of his wiser servants say, you've got nothing to lose. And we know the story. He dips seven times and gets healed. But you see, God's got a tremendous sense of humor. Think of Gideon. I mean, that's a classic. Here Gideon is. And he thinks of himself basically as a miserable rat. And there he is in the wine press threshing wheat. Now the wine press is meant for pressing wine. But he's threshing wheat. Why? Because you can't do it in the open. The Midianites will come and capture you. So Gideon is filled with fear. He's like fear on steroids. All right. He regards himself as the least in his father's house and his father's house the least of the tribes of Israel. You get it? So there Gideon is with all his fear hiding away, doing menial tasks, an angel of the Lord sits behind him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. (laughs) Don't you love God's sense of humor? (laughs) You know, you can just see Gideon thinking, what? Is there somebody else here? Do you understand? God's got a tremendous sense of humor. Let me tell you, not to say that God isn't serious. Please understand something. God is serious about everything. But you see, you and I need to be serious about everything. But in being serious doesn't mean that we have to be morbid and miserable. You see, we can get the job much better if we approach the serious business that we're involved with, with a cheerful heart. All right? We can have a continual feast. A continual feast. All right, now, you see, there's certain times when you and I can use what the Bible describes as the joy of the Lord for great power. All right? If we can learn to laugh, not only must we learn to laugh at life, there's something else that we need to learn to laugh at, and that is ourselves. Do you know one of the biggest problems in the ministry is we get in the way, especially when we're young in the Lord. And you see, when we start out, and we think of all the important things we have to do, it's so easy for us to start getting too serious about ourselves. Now, please understand, the business we are doing is serious, yes. But when you and I are too serious about ourselves, we get in the way. 
Because at the end of the day, it's not us that can ever do these things. It's only God. You see, although we are responsible to do our part, it's God at the end of the day that does everything. It's not us. It's not our power. It's his power. I had a friend, or I still have a friend, I have lost touch with him. But when we knew him here in Pretoria, very happy-go-lucky. We used to laugh every five minutes. I worked with him on certain projects, etc., etc. Subsequently, came very involved with ministry and has been elevated by God in a great, great way. In the course of this whole process, some university, I don't know which or where or how, conferred on him the title doctor. You see, so he's no longer his name, he's now doctor, so and so. The sad thing, now there's no harm in being receiving an honour like that, please don't get me wrong, That's a, it's an honour and one respects that. But you see, the moment you and I start to insist that everybody use our title, a friend of ours who knows him very well said, a family member phoned the office, phoned his office wanting to speak to him, and she used his first name. Do you know the secretary who has been trained said to him, unless you prepare to call him doctor by his title, I can't put you through. If you won't use the title, I can't put you through. What's that? Now, I'm sure he's got reasons for it. But you see, the point I'm trying to make is, when you and I insist on that title, it can put a distance between you and other people. Between us and other people. You see? I actually have the title of advocate. Can you believe it? Not that I ever practiced successfully. But now if I were to insist that everybody, and in a sense I'm entitled to it, I suppose technically. But if I said everybody, before you talk to me, you know, call me advocate. You know how devastating that would be for relationships. You understand? I'm not trying to pretend anything. You get it? It doesn't matter even if I was the greatest advocate on the earth. What am I? I'm just a person. You see, we and I cannot take ourselves too seriously. And you see, that's why if we can laugh at ourselves, it helps with this process of breaking down, taking ourselves too seriously. You see, that's why I often joke about myself. It's not that I'm undermining myself. You understand? I remember with the orchestra, Stacy will remember this, I'm sure, but we have a piece that is very serious, you might call it. And, um, oh God, oh God, it's in a minor key and it calls for great orchestration and the piano. And here we are, we get this thing together and we play it and it works. It works. My fingers did things on the piano I never thought I could do. And we have this mighty crescendo and we end off with what musicians call a tierce de Picardy from the minor into the major. And there we have it. Boom! And there's like a stunned silence. We've all, all the musicians played magnificently and it's just gone well. And there's this like pause. And I turn around and I say to all of them, something like this. Well, that's not too shabby for a common white boy. Everybody cracked up, you see. Now, what is that about? It's about doing something together for him. Amen? However, whoever, wherever. You see, having a sense of humor goes a long way to you and I getting ourselves out of the picture. Amen? So, cultivate a sense of humor. Learn to laugh at yourself. Amen? Let's learn to laugh at ourselves. 
not in a way of undermining ourselves, but just to realize we are no better or worse than anybody else. We are all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Very important. Now let me just say something else about laughter. You see, Nehemiah said to the people there, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me give you some background to that story and that phrase there. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for king of the Persian Empire. He was the cupbearer to the king and he asked permission to go to Jerusalem because he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem had broken down. Anyway, it's a long story, but he got there and he had a tremendous ability to motivate people because he took people that had been sitting there lethargically for years and he motivated them to rebuild the wall. Do you know they did it within 52 days? And they worked, my goodness, and they had opposition from outside, opposition from within. Psychological warfare being waged against them. They had to work with one hand, the other hand on their swords. It was terrible, but they got the job done. They got the job done, and at the end of it, they had this big celebration. It worked out in the Jewish timetable for the Feast of Tabernacles which is a great feast of rejoicing and praising God, etc. And in the heart of this feast, that is what Nehemiah said to the people. Don't be afraid. Go home, have a big party, enjoy all the good food, send to people who don't have. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I understand that that was the key to Nehemiah's ability to motivate people. You see, he lived a life. He had a cheerful heart, obviously. He had a cheerful heart. And every day, despite all the opposition, all the big decisions he had to make, the challenges, he had a feast. And that was his advice to the people, you see. And that's God's advice to us. Have a merry heart. Amen. Cultivate a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart, then every day, can be a feast. While everybody else is looking at all the affliction and every day is evil for them, let's make a difference. Let's learn to appreciate the humor in every situation, amen, and have a cheerful heart. Now, there's one other thing I need to say about this joy of the Lord. Don't let the devil steal our joy. Do you know why? It's a powerful weapon. It's an extremely powerful weapon, and I'm going to explain why. Let's just look at the book of Psalms. There's one scripture I want us to look at, Psalm 2 verse 4. This is God's approach, all right, would you believe, in a warfare situation. Psalm 2 verse 4. God's got enemies on the earth. This is how he deals with them. Psalm 2 verse 4. Well, let's just read from verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, you see, they all take themselves seriously, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us, you see. Rebellion. He who sits in the heavens does what? Shall laugh. All right. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now please remember something I said earlier. The moment you and I laugh, we go up. Our spirit man ascends. You see? And when you and I laugh at the devil, he hates it, by the way. He cannot stand it. When you and I laugh at the devil... In our mind, he goes down and we go up. Do you see that? He goes down and we go up. 
I'll never forget this one illustration. I have a friend, or Rob, most of you probably, some of you might know Rob Stewart, but anyway, we used to have prayer meetings when we were in the same church once a week, I think it was. He'd come early in the morning in the house that I'd built then. We had like a play area. So we would go there and we would pray. And on one occasion, we just gave over to holy laughter. It was going around at that time. And uh, literally, I mean, we now please, God didn't make us do it. We yielded to it. And we were literally rolling on the floor like babies. Now nobody was watching, you see, so it didn't matter. We weren't upsetting anybody. I don't know if Janet remembers us, but anyway, we were rolling on the floor like babies, crying with laughter, crying with laughter. It looked absurd. Now you might say, oh, grow up. Can't you grown adults behave in a respectable fashion? Well, be that as it may. Can I tell you something? After that experience, I had to drive through to Joburg later on that day, and I was in the business world, and I was facing some very difficult decisions and issues. But you know, I was laughing all the way. This laughter would just come over me. And as I laughed, can I just tell you, the problems got smaller, and my spirit, in a sense, got stronger. You see, the joy of the Lord is your and my strength. Laugh at the devil. He hates it. When we're involved with deliverance on the odd occasion, you would think we're having a picnic by our discussion. We think we're having a tea party. We make comments like, no, next time, please use your deodorant, because they stink some of these things. Cracking jokes like that. And they might say, how can you be so frivolous? Please understand something. We understand what we're doing is very serious business. Very serious business. But part of your and my coping methodology, so to speak, in difficult situations is to laugh and to make a joke of it. That's why in a war situation, various armies have ludicrous names for the enemy. We used to call them gooks. Charlie Tangos. You see, we used to make jokes. Why? It was terrible if you met up with them. But to cope with the horror, so to speak, you make a joke of it. What I'm saying is this laughter and this sense of humor is very powerful. And so while we're busy with a serious business, we're having a feast. You see, a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Be gone. Amen. Go. And they run off. It's wonderful. But you see, what's the key? Not to get too serious. Oh, we got it. We're now into deliverance. Oh. You get it? Laugh. Laugh at the situation. However, can I just say in closing, there are occasions where it's not right to laugh. I mean, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it speaks about this. Right, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. Right? It's important to realize there are occasions when we're not supposed to laugh. Laughter is out of place. Let's go to Proverbs 25 verse 20. Do you understand? We're supposed to have a continual feast. However, there's sensitivity involved. And it would be remiss of me if I didn't mention this. Proverbs 25 verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather. Now in cold weather, like we're experiencing here, if you go to a beggar and take the jersey that he has off him, you're not helping him a lot. And like vinegar on soda. Vinegar on soda causes a tremendous reaction, negative reaction. Is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I mean, he's one who sings songs to every heart. You know, if you've got somebody who's just lost a loved one and you are there just to be there, it's not the time to crack some stupid joke. You understand? It is not appropriate. 
people have to go through the mourning process and they need to do it. And it's not a time to try to inject some sort of humor into it. You understand? You've got to be sensitive about that. I mean, people who try and make silly jokes to attract attention because they can't deal with the situation themselves are actually an embarrassment in situations like that. I mean, there's another time when you and I must not laugh. You see, we can laugh at the devil, we can laugh at ourselves, but it's never a good thing to laugh at somebody else. I mean, remember when you laugh at somebody, they go down and we go up. And you see, it's not our job to make people feel bad. I mean, there's a place for laughing, but when you are in the company of somebody and somebody has got maybe a defect or something like that, and you make a joke about it, you're making a joke at somebody's expense. That's not godly. That's not godly. Especially the occasion where a husband in public makes a joke about his wife, at his wife's expense. And everybody laughs, but sometimes you can just see inside that lady cringes. She shrivels up. So let's be careful about that, you see. We must be cheerful, but not at other people's expense. I always say it this way, you know, laugh with people, but not at them. When I was at school, you see, and I did something and the kids started to laugh, I always say to them, now are you laughing at me or are you laughing with me? And they'd say, oh no, we're laughing with you, sir, we're laughing with you, sir. Of course they were lying, but anyway, I could handle it, let me put it that way. My spirit didn't crumble before them and I didn't, you know, dissolve into a bundle of tears. One last scripture, just an important thing to realize. This is from a very, very practical point of view. Let's go to Proverbs. You all know the scripture, beautiful scripture about a merry heart. Let's go to Proverbs 17, verse 22. Proverbs 17, verse 22. Here it goes. A merry heart does good like medicine. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Do you know how accurate that is from a medical point of view? It's been proved. When you and I start to laugh, we release in our systems endorphins and chemicals that actually promote good, good health. The other side of the coin is when we are afraid, you see, that releases chemicals that cause a lot of damage. So you see, when you and I choose, instead of being afraid, let's laugh. Let's have a good old laugh. I think of the Lord. Here he is walking the streets of Galilee, etc., and he goes to the, the one house, and there's all the sinners and all the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and he's having a wonderful time with them. A wonderful time. They're all laughing and having a good time, good time of eating and drinking. The scribes and Pharisees couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. Couldn't it passed them by. You understand? Now, who was bringing healing to those people? You understand? You see, you and I need to lighten up. What we're doing is serious. Let's not make any mistake about that. And we have to be serious about it. But because we are being serious about it, doesn't mean at the same time, we can't have a continual feast. And how do we have a continual feast? Look for the humor in every situation. I mean, how God made the earth. Have we ever looked at a rhinoceros? Could God have ever made anything more ugly than that? Amen. It speaks about the big sea creatures. You know what the Bible says? One passage says he made them to play there. <laughs> I love that scripture. These animals, these big, massive, massive creatures are in the sea and they're flipping their, their fins and they're sending up their, their spout. 
And they're just having fun. And God is having fun with them. He's having fun with them, you see. And we need to have fun with him. We need to have fun with him and rejoice in life. Amen. Do you know that Janet had a vision the other day? Do you know what the vision was of? She saw her and the Lord playing ping pong. Can you believe it? Playing ping pong. What is that about? What was the Lord saying to her? Have fun. Have fun with me. I love you. Amen. And as we do that, you see, we'll have a continual feast. And can I just say this? If you and I are having a continual feast, many other people will want to come and join us. Amen. Be blessed in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Thank you.